Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, your host and founder of The Genius Project, an initiative for Catholic women designed to support and resource you towards growth in all areas of your life, spiritual, personal and professional. Now, we seek to do this through the Genius Podcast, which you're listening to, our online courses, our live virtual Catholic Women's Summits, the Genius Project Masterclass for Catholic Women, and our Catholic Coaching Programs for Women. Now, if you're interested in finding out about any of these initiatives, I invite you to visit our website, www.geniusproject.co, or you can send me an email, karen at geniusproject.co. I'd also like to invite you to join us if you're on social media on Instagram, genius underscore project underscore daily, and you can watch the live recordings of these interviews on the Genius Project YouTube channel. Ladies, if you haven't already signed up for the live Virtual Catholic Women's Summit, I invite you to do that by heading over to the website www.geniusproject.co and sign up for this free Virtual Catholic Women's Summit. It is going to be a fabulous weekend where our speakers just pour into you formation, encouragement, inspiration, and so much wisdom. Make sure you sign up and keep the dates free, the 20th to the 21st of October this year. Ladies, this week we continue our conversation around this idea of vocation and what it means to be called to live our universal vocation in three different states of life, married life, consecrated life, and the dedicated single life. In today's episode of the Genius Podcast, we're going to be exploring the vocation of marriage and how through this sacrament and this vocation, we are actually called to sanctification and holiness. While this is not always easy and sometimes we get incredibly irritated by the differences between men and women when we're coming together in this sacred relationship, we unpack some ideas and tips around how we can navigate tricky waters, how we can invest and be intentional in our marriage, how we can cultivate an atmosphere of love and intimacy. To help me unpack this vocation of marriage, I am joined in this week's episode of The Genius Podcast by Steph Ransom. Steph has been married to Patrick for eight years. They have two beautiful daughters. For 10 years, Steph was based in Brisbane working in Catholic youth ministry with a focus on facilitating programs about love, sex, and healthy relationships for high school students. Steph and her family recently moved to Canberra and she worked with the Archdiocese of Canberra-Goulburn in marriage and family ministry. Currently, she is finishing a Bachelor of Paramedicine and hopes to continue her love of working with people in the healthcare setting. Steph loves solo car singing, spending time with her family and a good DIY project. Steph has such a beautiful heart for marriage, which you will see in this interview. She shares some pearls of wisdom from her own experience, as well as her professional work, working in relationships education. I hope and pray that this episode is a blessing to you. Well, welcome, Steph, to the Genius Podcast. It's great to have you joining us. You're in Canberra. I'm in Canberra, so it's, that's fun. We should be sitting in a room together doing this interview. <laughs> but welcome. It's really nice to have you joining us. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Karen. It's great to catch up with you twice in two weeks. <laughs> I know. It's fantastic. So two weeks ago we did, well, Steph was a guest on the Shalom World TV series that we did for them and we filmed that in Canberra two weeks ago and that was so much fun, wasn't it? That took quite a few hours. You were our yeah. guinea pig. <laughs> oh, it was great though. It was, um, it's a little, a little taste of the 
the media and production world, which I am not in very often. So kudos to you guys. It was so great. <laughs> well, it was it was fantastic and we really loved you. You were such a gracious first guest as we all got organised and fine-tuned things. But we, um, we're going to deep dive, I guess, doing a bit of an extension of that conversation that we had in Shalom talking about marriage and on the Genius podcast we're going to kickstart this series on vocation and looking at how as Catholic women we're living our primary vocation. So we'll be exploring marriage, religious life and the dedicated single life. So no pressure at all, but you're kicking off this series with uh, reflections on the vocation of marriage. And we're going to be deep diving into that because you've got so much to share and offer us. But before we do that, can you give us a little bit of background about context for who you are and, and how you came to be living in Canberra and what you're doing. Absolutely. Um, so I'm Steph. I'm married to Patrick. We've got two young daughters. Um, our oldest just started kindergarten this year. So it's a, a whole new world um, from when they're tiny babies and toddlers to starting school. Um, we've, yeah, we're in Canberra now. It's our third year in Canberra. So our youngest was born here, which sounds a bit crazy. But um, yeah, she was born here. And prior to that, we lived in Brisbane. Um, and before getting married and um, and kind of being mostly a stay-at-home mum, I worked quite um, frequently in youth ministry. So I worked for a, a few different organisations um, with teenagers at high schools, presenting on topics about love and relationships and talking about the gospel. Um, also, most recently, worked with the Archdiocese here in Canberra um, in marriage, family and relationships uh, office, which was really life-giving, really beautiful way to settle into a new um a new town, a new archdiocese to meet all of these fabulous married couples. We'd, um, we, I facilitated marriage uh, formation programs. So it was a really nice way to meet other people in Canberra because we were new. Um, and at the moment, I'm actually studying full-time, trying to finish off my paramedic degree. So I'm starting to be a paramedic. Um, I'm almost finished. I'm probably about, I have about maybe 15% to go. Um, so close. It is, yes, yeah, so close, but it feels so far away. Oh, you're almost um, there. Yeah, yeah, almost there. So um, it's a little bit of a pivot, but I think it's been on my heart for such a long time. My parents worked in healthcare. I've always loved healthcare and science, loved bioethics. Um, and so I think I just see it as like a, an extension of my evangelization call on my life um, to work in healthcare work out in the world with other people who maybe don't know the gospel, but you can witness to them in such a different way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's what I'm currently doing at the moment. Um, and then probably but maybe 80 to 90% of my life, I'm a mum <laughs> and yeah. a wife yeah. and doing all of those domestic duties and running a household. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you. And you came to Canberra almost, was it just before the pandemic? It you was. Know? It was before the bushfires, before oh, the hailstorm. Yeah. Um, so we we were welcome to Canberra with a really hot summer. Yes. Then we had the fires, then the hailstorm, and then um, our first lockdown in Canberra. So Crazy. it was, um, <laughs> it was a bit well, of a three years after the fire. <laughs> yeah, you start to really experience the uh, the blessing and the good parts of Canberra. However, I don't know why you'd move from Brisbane to Canberra because it's so cold here. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny actually. My um, so my husband's family are all his extended family here. His mum and dad. Um, sister and her family um, but I still remember the first Christmas we spent here and we flew down and it was cold on Christmas day yeah. and I, I remember turning to Patrick and saying we will never live in Canberra <laughs> never and, <laughs> and I felt like um, we spent almost eight years I think or maybe seven years in Brisbane and I think that was 
that's how long it took for God to soften my heart to move yeah. to Canberra. Yeah. Well, um, but it's been so beautiful. Yeah, it's been really, really, really has a, a plan for you here. So. Yes, I think yes. so. <laughs> We're stoked you're here. And actually, I knew your husband or I met him. He was like a little boy. So my <laughs> husband and I moved to far north Queensland when we were first married and yeah. met his parents. So um, they were a really important part in our lives. So it's a small world, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So beautiful. Well, today we're going to be deep diving into marriage and looking at this beautiful vocation that it is. It's, it's beautiful joys, but also it's struggles and what we can do as couples to really, I guess, cultivate the soil of our marriage because our marriage is called to be a sign and a symbol of God's love in the world. And we often say if we don't see God's love in marriage, then where are we going to see it? Because this is like really the heart of where we're making visible the invisible mystery of God. But before we dive into that conversation, Steph, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your first year of marriage. I know for me, we got married, we've been married nearly 22 years and our first year we hit heads because we were really strong-willed and I remember looking at all these other couples thinking they're perfect, they don't struggle, they've got no issues until it was probably nine months after we were married I was sharing about a little disagreement we'd had at a New Year's Eve party. And this girl goes, oh, my first year I cried in the bath the whole first year of marriage. I thought I'd made the biggest mistake and I couldn't believe it because they seemed like they had it all together. And I think from that moment, Jonathan and I decided to be honest and authentic about our relationship because we all struggle, right? All marriages have their ups and downs, but it's about growing into a love that's going to last a lifetime and, and we'll explore that a little bit. But did you have a similar experience? What was your first year of marriage like? Yeah, absolutely, Karen. I think you're, I can definitely relate to that first year. We're both quite strong-willed and opinionated and um, get along really well, but also I think just that um because we didn't live together before we were married and we had quite a short dating and engagement period um, and we were very convicted about discerning marriage and, and when it was the right thing, we got engaged and, and we journeyed with a, um, a marriage preparation couple. And so I feel like they prepared us quite well, but you can't really ever be fully prepared. No, like <laughs> Absolutely, just thrown in the deep end. And so I think my reflection for that first year was, um, we we did kind of hit a bit of a, um, we, we definitely had a bit of a rocky patch. We argued quite a bit. I mean, we just kind of, we didn't really um, sit down and and flesh out like very intentionally what it, what our first year would look like. Like what did we want to do? What did, values did we want to hold? We knew um, obviously we'd be going to mass together. We'd be seeing our friends, but it kind of felt a little bit like we were still kind of living that life. We we're working full time, both of us at the time, still living that life, but together in the same house and not sure how to navigate um, those small nuances or that everyday relationship that we had as a married couple, we just kind of thrown in there, they closed the door and said, good luck, everyone. <laughs> um but I think for me, yeah, it was really similar in that um, we had a lot of these challenges and I didn't feel like I could share it with anyone. So I wasn't quite sure if it was normal to be butting heads so frequently. Or um, And I think for me as well, I, I um, my parents divorced when I was a teenager. So I think that set like a... Um, and set a vision for our marriage, both Patrick and I knew we didn't want that for our relationship, but we didn't really know how not to get there. So it was more of those practical skills that, and um, like things in communication and conflict, 
resolution or even just expectations around intimacy, um, family planning, all of that kind of thing. We, um, we just felt like we didn't have anyone to journey with us. And I think for me, I, there was probably a little bit of pride involved in that. I didn't want to share about the fact that we had struggles because did that mean that we were going to end up like my parents? Um, and I didn't feel like I could share um, our struggles with my parents because I didn't want them to know that maybe we were struggling a little bit. Um, so, um, yeah, so I think for the first year or so, we had a lot of, of these kind of challenges or struggles and we'd make up and, and that would happen again. I'm like, why do we keep having the same fights about the same issues? And lo and behold, eight years later, it still, it still happens. Um, but I think it was, um, yeah, once we realised that we needed to bring other people into our relationship, um, people that we trusted, people that were on the right path or the same path as us, um, that had good, healthy marriages as well, and just sharing with them about some of our struggles um, and just asking for their wisdom or even just, I guess, that validation that you're not alone. Like every married couple goes through seasons and times where things aren't as great as it seems on the outside and and um, I think that helped me to feel not so alone in the walking of the journey and also I think as well when, you're, when it's just you two at home, um, no kids are there yet, it's um it can be sometimes I think just a very what's the right word um very just like intense I think because you're having that argument or you're having that conversation it's a bit heated and then you feel like it's <laughs> it's funny that um the lady you said about she went and cried in the bath I had many moments where I'd lock myself in my room and I'd be frustrated or annoyed or um and I'm like what's going on or why do we keep having this argument or um it, it kind of turned very dramatic and then when you share that with someone else and they go oh that's so normal what you're feeling is valid um, every well, not everybody, but it's it's really common to have those kinds of um, situations it takes the arise, out, doesn't it? It takes the pressure yeah. out, recalibrate, and come back. And yeah, productive. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, so our first year was a little bit tumultuous in that way. Um, we also experienced a miscarriage in our first year, and I think that for us, we were quite young. We got married, and it was in the first six months of our marriage. And I think that was also a turning point when I realised that we couldn't carry that kind of grief on our own. We had to share that. We had to invite other people in. Um, and it, was, it wasn't was normal for me, I think, just growing up to, to be vulnerable about that kind of stuff. So um, I think even now it takes a lot of um, lot of time for me to open up with friends about that kind of thing. But um, it's, so, it's so life-giving. I think that's the way God intended it to, for us to share in yeah. relationship with each other about this kind of thing because we can't do it alone right. so so true yeah. and I think that's it it's it's realizing like marriage actually is a community yeah. right and it's a community for the community too it's doing some of the puberty education talks we do I've got this script going through my head about explaining I guess the marriage relationship to young people and really it's this very special friendship where a man and woman form this unique community and but for any community to flourish, we need others around to support us. And I think you're right. There's, you know, over the past 12 months, I actually know 10 marriages that have broken down and it's been devastating. Like it's a huge number. Mm. And the impact of that story also on my children that they see so many marriages. And then if you're irritated with each other, like, are you getting divorced? Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were arguing over who was going to do the dishes the other night. You do them. No, I'll do them. No, you do them. And, and, <laughs> One of them was like, are you having a fight? We're like, no, we're not fighting. But it, it's funny how I guess the I guess the example can really impact 
I guess, a younger person, like for yourself as a young person growing up, your view of marriage, but also the people around us, that we have a responsibility to really, for our children, but for all of those that we encounter to be cultivating this very sacred relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's it's funny talking about that girl in the bath. I often say at the men's conferences when I'm speaking to them about understanding women, it's like there comes a point in all our marriages. And if you tell me it hasn't happened, I need to feel your pulse because I don't know anybody who's fully alive where they don't reach a point where, you know, we realise he's not Prince Charming, he realises we're not Cinderella, we might be ready to throw the shoe at him. And it's that point that, you know, some people turn their backs on their marriage because they say they're not happy or they've fallen out of love, when in actual fact that is the moment when you actually get about the business of building a love that's going to see you through a lifetime. And, And that's what you're saying and we cannot do that alone. And I think one of your signature messages is that, isn't it, is about really encouraging people to embed yourself in a community of like-minded married couples who can support you and help you grow. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, I think that's something that, like, as I, as I get older and, and I feel like I can have a little bit more mercy towards my parents' relationship and, and what might have happened with that, Um is one of the things was they didn't have like they they moved away from family they didn't have a lot of like-minded um couples that were um I mean they, they weren't practicing Catholics so they didn't go to church they did they just didn't quite have that community of of um of couples living that and and really fighting for it um and so yeah you're right I think that's one thing that's really that I I've I've seen um our relationship flourish more when we are really intentionally seeking out other friendships that can journey like we can journey together and be honest with each other about things and and laugh about the silly arguments that we've had um so yeah yeah after we were married in the April and then in the January we went camping down the south coast and um a friend of ours with was with us he was actually a priest and he had this horrific fall on the rocks and when the waves came and cracked his face open like he was in shock it was terrible and I had to run back down to the caravan park to get the car and my husband was carrying him we had to take him to the hospital but there was this young couple who'd been watching us over the week at the caravan park and I bumped into them and was like oh there's this priest and this has happened and they helped get the car and get him to the hospital but they said we've been watching you we've been watching how you interact and the books you're reading I was like oh gosh <laughs> anyway they ended up becoming really good friends they're an Anglican couple and so we catch up with them each year but I remember a couple of months after that coast trip we caught up with them in Sydney and they sat down at dinner so we didn't really know them that well and he just dives in he goes so guys how's your marriage yeah <laughs> And I was like, I was a little taken aback. I'm like, that's very personal. But it really opened this beautiful friendship with this couple where we shared marriage quite deeply. Like we talked about the struggles and we really encouraged one another, I guess, towards holiness and on this road to sainthood. And that's really, I guess, the purpose of vocation, isn't it? It's how we live out this universal call to love. So, Steph, I'm wondering if you can give us a little bit of theological background about what's happening. Why is marriage so special? It's not just a legal partnership. Like what sets us apart as Catholic couples? Yeah, Karen, I think um, the sacramentality of marriage is such a beautiful um, reality, I think is is the way I would describe it, is that I, 
think sometimes we can see holiness or saints um, that there aren't a lot of married saints and there are a few more coming through um, through the rigs now but seeing trying to pair holiness and the reality of marriage together can be really difficult and I think um, it's so important to to continue to make that a reality the sacramentality of um, of marriage that we are committing to ourselves to each other and to God um, in this beautiful sacrament um, which also means that there's grace available to us at every moment in the same way in the Eucharist and the same way when we go to confession um, there's grace available for us to do better and to love each other better and to love God better um, that that grace is available to us in our marriage and it's a particular grace that um, single people don't have or consecrated um, sisters or priests with holy orders they don't have that particular grace that God intended for marriage to assist us in the journey. Um, and I think because it's an invisible, obviously grace is invisible, <laughs> we, I think sometimes we forget that it's available for us and we forget that we can ask God um, for that particular blessing um, or to really just reach out and, and grasp that. Um, I think I was I was listening to a podcast by um, Christopher West and Matt Frad recently and, and Christopher West was saying very um very intently that God in God intended for us to marry our spouse and for our spouse to marry us um that his purpose for our vocation and his purpose for our holiness or his plan for our holiness will come through our spouse <laughs> whether we like it or not yes. and that's God's plan for our lives um and I was reflecting on that a little bit and a friend um was telling me about how Oh, she was just kind of sharing about how um, God's plan for our holiness and for our sanctification is for our whole lives. Um, and I think that's what I find really beautiful about that permanency of the sacrament of marriage is that we are forever married to our spouse. Our souls are one with the other. Um, and that if God willing, we will be married for all the days of our lives. Um, God's plan and purpose for our personal sanctification will come through our spouse um there's no way we can kind of dodge it or get around it I think that's such a beautiful way in which God has designed marriage and relationship between man and woman um that he just he really desires to spend eternity with us um and for those of us who are called to the vocation of marriage he will use our spouse to assist us um and I think that we can only be receptive and open um to all of those challenges and all of those kind of refining moments that we'll find in the everyday life of marriage. Um, yeah, I think it's just, yeah, it's just such a beautiful way in which God's designed it. And I, and I think that I'll spend the rest of my life learning more and more about how God has, um, yeah, how God has designed it and what he has intended for us personally, but also for our, our friends and, um, and for their relationships as well, I'll always just be in awe of the way God uses each other. Yeah, um, yeah, to, for us, for us to become closer to Him. Yeah. yeah, so good. I think what you said right there is such a game changer. That this is the way. This is a path that God has chosen for our sanctification. So sometimes <laughs> you might look at your spouse and think you are like going to send me to the pit of hell because I feel so angry with you, <laughs> or I'm like I can't forgive you, or whatever it is. But this it's a game changer when we flip our perspective and I think this is very much what John Paul II was on about he was always inviting us to shift our perspective to flip the table 
on mm. what the culture presents and the culture penetrates our thinking. Like as much as we like to think mm. we're going to mass and we're immune, we're not, we're really not. Like that insidious lie that seeps into marriages, I'm not happy, you're not making me happy, you're not this. You know, it's that very self-absorbed kind of selfish mentality and, and we're human so you know we get hurt we're fallen our spouses have fallen but really if we can start to flip the perspective and to really reorient ourselves on this vocational nature the fact that marriage is a sacrament the fact that it is through this sacrament that we are being purified sanctified being conformed more and more into the image and likeness of god yeah. I think that really does change how we show up in our marriages as as wives. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think that's especially in the small moments on when you're reflecting about things or going about your day and the way in which we choose to serve our families and our husbands. Um, that perspective is really so important, and I think um, it's hard too because I think society, particularly recently, a lot of the more um, advancements in psychology and understanding how men and women relate to each other or even just the way our brains work and um, if there are different kind of personality styles that can help you understand people better I think some of that is really good and you can use that but it's so hard to not um, to, it's so hard to then also filter out what is not of God and so it's almost like you have to be constantly discerning of what you're picking up um, and every so often you have to kind of strip some things back and realize they're not serving you or they're not serving your spouse I'm not serving our family culture. Um, but yeah, I think those, yeah, it's in those kind of micro interactions where you can, where you can choose to serve the other and you can choose to love them. Yes. Um, choose to kind of throw away that selfishness, which is so easily of like <laughs> put on. Um, yeah. It's all those really small habits that allow us to, in those bigger moments when maybe we're not feeling a particular way or we're feeling really challenged by something um, that will allow us to choose the right thing yes yeah and what you're talking about there really is this act of the will which is love and you know we often equate love with feelings we feel we hear people say well I've fallen out of love with them mm -hmm. and so they make a decision to to leave their marriage based on that feeling um but love to clarify and to define it love is actually to will the good of the other that's mm -hmm. what John Paul II talks about love being like it's actually to will another's good and to really help them move towards their sanctification yeah there's a beautiful quote by john paul ii where he says at every moment in history for its longitude and its latitude it will depend on who she will be for him and on who he will be for her mm. and often at the men's conferences i say to the men who will you be for the women in your life mm. and as we have this conversation i invite the women to reflect who will you be for your husband for the men in your life yeah. because he, he goes a little deeper then and he, he says that it's precisely in being in relationship with one another that we discover the essence of what it means to be a human person and really the essence is to lay our lives down in service and love for another yeah. so the question is how are we actually showing up and doing that in our mm. marriages yeah absolutely um and I think the one thing that I really love or I think that I keep coming back to time and time again is the individuality of the relationship that we have with God and that he knows us individually. He knows our spouse so well and that um, 
if we're struggling to um, to know how to love that particular person well, because I think you can read um, books about marriage, but some of it won't land. Or you can you can read the five love languages and and you can say, oh my my spouse is, likes to be loved like this, but that might not be true. <laughs> they might have a different way of loving, or that you might be thinking you're serving them in a particular way, and that's a really great thing, and they actually hate it secretly, and they haven't been <laughs> and they haven't wanted yeah. to tell you. Um, and so I think. Being curious and, and always wanting to learn and get to know your spouse so that you can serve them and love them in the way which they need and the way which they're designed, um, I think is such a beautiful thing, um, particularly because it, I feel like there it, there might be, well, there are plenty of mysteries. There might be some mysteries. There are plenty of mysteries about my husband <laughs> that I don't know yet, but I, I feel like um, there are also there are also things that I don't know about myself really. And only, only those things can only be revealed to me through prayer and through relationship with God um, and our relationship with each other and praying together as spouses and working on that together and being intentional. Um, so I think, yeah, like really practical ways in which you can love them is finding out how they like to be loved or served or even just finding out some of their hobbies, what are they interested in, what kind of things you talk about at the end of the day. Um, do they feel like they can share certain things with you? And, and if they don't feel like they can or if they're not really sure, like go on that journey of discovery together, um, setting aside time. I think being intentional is is the real key. I think the rest of um, life for everybody at any stage is just always feels busy. It always feels busy. It feels overwhelming. It feels like we've got so much on. Um, but carving out time together and also like just sacrificing other things that aren't as important, like prioritizing things, even though there are two good things that might be happening. Um, what is the better of the good? Is that serving your spouse? I think some of the skills particularly um, that we have used in the past is um, doing the alpha marriage course together, which is a seven week program, um, which is a really beautiful way just to carve out time to, to do that. Um, and then using the Got the Gottman book, which I know you really love, Karen. So for the for the listeners, there's a book by Dr. John Gottman, and it's called Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. And in all the years, 20 years of doing relationships education and walking with couples, that would be my go-to book. Yeah, it's so good. So you've used it in your marriage? Yeah, we've just we've read a few chapters together. Our plan um, that we keep telling each other that we want to sit down and do a bit more of the mapping, yes. um, the life mapping, and just the even just the questions, getting to know each other. There's a few really great questions in there that just um, if we went out for dinner, we could just yes. have a conversation because I feel like sometimes we we get stuck in a rut. We talk about the same things over and over again, um, but it's nice to just have another tool that reminds us that there are more things that we can learn about each other. Can you explain the mapping for the listeners? What does the love map mean? Yes. Um, so love map, from my understanding, is that you're just, um, you have a lot of kind of questionnaires in order to get to know each other more um, and how we can love our spouse better um, by getting to know them. So, And even asking that question, and, and this is one thing that we can do, if we've been married for a number of years, like you do hit that period, especially when kids come along where it just becomes a little mundane. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it doesn't it like it, it does and we've been through you know a few patches like that where it gets a bit mundane and it's really about that word you said being intentional so I would encourage women to go to their husbands and say you know what are your needs at the moment like how can I love you better 
So yeah. even for the listeners right now who are married, just pick up your phone right now and okay. try to text your husband and say, I just really value you um, and I want to grow in my capacity for love. Maybe we've been through a rough time or maybe we've not, but how can I love you? How do you want to be loved in this season? Yeah. It's so powerful. That just opens a man's heart right there. Mm-hmm. Instead of being, you know, he gets the text if you're in a hard season and he's expecting a criticism or a nag. Yeah. To get at that will just open his heart in the most powerful way. Mm, I think absolutely. there's so many little things that we can do. Yeah going through different seasons in our marriages yeah absolutely and that reminds me of um I had some friends who did I think it's like a 30-day challenge a marriage challenge and it's like they do little things secretly you do one thing a day um and it's meant in a way to love and serve your spouse and you're supposed to do it in a way that they don't know you're doing the challenge <laughs> I think yeah, maybe, maybe. I've heard about it a few times and I thought, oh, that's that would be a really great thing to do. Put it on my to-do list of things. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it just sounded like a, I think as well, it just, it, I think it would be good for me to just stop being so inward. I think my tendency is just to look inward. What do I need What do, or what do the children need? How can I um, set them up and serve them and love them best? Because it feels like they're my focus, especially when they're a lot younger and you're physically like breastfeeding them and changing their nappies and you have to do everything for them. Um, and I think we can forget about our spouses a little bit, that they need that love and care and respect from us as well, um, just as much as the children do. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think men really do need that sort of that nurture from us as wives. And I think because they're so tough and they carry so much, they work so hard, we can very easily lose sight of that. Like I know Jonathan, every Sunday he'll buy me flowers and he will constantly be cleaning, serving in the house. Or if there's no milk, he'll go and get it. So it's a cop-out for me sometimes to think, oh, well, it's just easier for him to do that for me. It actually takes me a lot more work to really think about, okay, what does Jonathan need? Like how can I actually do something that's meaningful for him? And it's a really good question to ask ourselves, what does our spouse need from us? How can we, I guess, serve? How can we show our love? Because Mm. we can say that we love each other, but we need to be showing it regularly. And and John Mm. Gottman says, you know, it's not the big grand gestures or the anniversaries. It's the small things done consistently each day that actually create an atmosphere of love. So it's not enough to say, I love you. Mm. We actually need to be showing that we love because love Mm. is a doing word. (laughs) We have to do love. Um, Yeah. Yeah, how can women, I guess, show love? What are the domains and the areas where we can show love to our husband and cultivate that atmosphere? Yeah, um, I I know one of them is respect, Mm. respecting our husbands. Um, I know for me something that took me a few years to learn was like, Uh, when Patrick will get home from work the first thing he wants to do is get changed um, get out of his work clothes he needs a bit of time to decompress Um, and often I'll see that moment as he's going to come and straight help with dinner or help with the kids or great this is my time to emotionally unload all of my feelings about the day (laughs) also sometimes because he's the first adult that I've seen seen (laughs) having an adult conversation Um, and also just an external process of it he's not and so learning that um that's very overwhelming for him to walk into the door with a bit of chaos with young children and me wanting to unload things and we're getting interrupted and and he's also just had a big day at work and and often had challenging conversations or 
just had a really big day. And so for me to give him time and space to just come in the door, say hello to the kids, say hello to me, go and get changed, get a drink or make a cup of tea. Um, And I think for me, it's really good to just exercise a little bit of self-control. It sounds a bit simple, but in that moment, all I really want to do is just start telling him all of the things that I've been waiting to do all day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think discerning, is this the right moment to either tell him this or to bring this up? Um, like, is this the right moment for me to say, can you go out and get some groceries or can you make sure you put a load of laundry on or whatever it is? Um, maybe it's not the right moment and maybe I could just hold on to that and and bring it up another time. So I think discerning, be discerning of the moment, um, particularly because we can be a bit critical of things or we can request a lot from our spouse. Um, and, yeah, so I think that, and I think that is one way in which I learned to respect him. I think there was probably ways in which I thought he liked to be respected or things that I was doing that I thought were loving him, but they weren't really, like he would acknowledge them and be grateful for those things. But um, it wasn't what really got to the heart of him and what he really appreciates. Yeah. Um, so learning more about what that is. Um, he's very affectionate. So I think just like receiving his affection is really um. I'm affectionate, but not as much. And he's very physical touch and likes likes to have a, a hug in the kitchen or um, just, yeah. So, which has been really, really nice for me. And I think sometimes I just realise, I'm like, oh, he just he just wants to give me a, a, a hug. What? Um, it's not it's not the worst thing in the world to have a husband who loves you and wants to show you that through affection. Like sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'm just trying to make a cup of tea. I'm just trying to do this. I don't need to give you a hug right now. But really it's just him wanting to stop and pause, connect um, physically and um, and then go on with our day. And for him, that's really life-giving and it fills him up a lot. So that's that's another thing that I've been doing, I think. And that has come from getting to know each other more and getting to know him more about how he likes to be loved and respected. So the way that we receive love within marriage is quite different. So men receive it primarily through respect and as women through cherishing. And really respect is a man's oxygen hose. Yeah. So what happens in marriage when we get into a dysfunctional pattern and conflict, we start spinning on what Edgar Richards calls the crazy cycle, that when a man behaves in a way that's unloving, a woman behaves in a disrespectful way and it starts spinning. And, and we can spin our, ourselves all the way to divorce courts if we're not careful. Mm-hmm through that one principle alone. But it's actually really simple to start spinning in the other direction. Even when you've been on that cycle, if you can intentionally start to do things that are respectful, Mm -hmm. it does change a man's heart and he then wants to be a bit more loving and cherishing. And so I think the ways that we can respect our husbands are through valuing their opinion. Mm -hmm. I, I know when we were first married, I'd always know the right way to drive to a location a destination (laughs) and I knew always this is so prideful (laughs) but I know always that Jonathan's way was longer and it was just going to take us in the like longest direction and route and it would irritate me I've since learned that when I criticize or when I bring that up in the car he feels incredibly disrespected like I'm undermining I guess who he is and and where he's going and yes he's learned to now come to ask for my opinion and direction so it works both ways of course <laughs> but one of the ways is valuing their opinion valuing their input um even asking like even going to that your husband and saying you know i'd really value your input mm. yeah. or i'm having this issue with one of the kids what do you think i should do like that's that to a husband is an incredible gift yeah you know? 
heart. So there's very simple ways that we can respect. Mm-hmm. I think the other one is our tone of voice and the way we speak mm-hmm. as women. And I think our tongue can be so cutting. Like men are far more fragile than we could ever mm-hmm. imagine. Don't you agree? Yeah. yeah. And I think that like society has done such a disservice to, I mean, men in general, but in a, in a marriage in that saying that men are kind of that manly, strong, stone-faced, nothing can penetrate, which is just so not true. Um, and I think you're so, yeah, I think you're right. That That's one thing that, um, that Patrick will regularly kind of speak with me about. He'll say, or sometimes I think I think for him in the, our first year of marriage, I'll I'll sometimes get passionate about something or I'll be annoyed about something that's not really to do with him, but I'm telling him about it, like retelling it. I'm very emotional and very my yes. hands flying in, in the air, and and it took him a really long time to to realize that I wasn't angry with him or I, I just wasn't angry at him. Yes. Um, and so now he'll sometimes he'll go just checking. You're not angry with me, or I have to say I'm not angry at you. I'm just frustrated about this particular thing, but because I don't even realize that my tone of voice and my body language has changed and, and, um, and he's receiving all of that. He's receiving all of that emotion, which is exhausting for him because he's kind of carrying it and trying to be a good listener and, and trying to process all of the things that (laughs) all of the feelings that I've got. Um, But yeah, for him to, for him to be spoken to maybe in a bit more of a calm manner or for me to maybe go away and process my emotions and thoughts and then come to him yeah. Um, and and kind of lay it out in a bit more of an orderly way, I think, has been something that's really good for me to learn. Um, and I think he's really appreciated that as well. So, yeah, I think you're right, the tone of voice and body language or um, the way we ask them to do things. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, is really. It's and just, asking yeah. them, like you said, that word asking them, not telling them. Mm. I think, you know, nothing shuts a man down more than, I guess, being criticised or being disrespected. Yeah. Gottman talks about this and I really like it. He said if, like, men are very resistant to feedback, like, because mm-hmm. they feel criticised and criticism is internalised as disrespect. Mm-hmm. So if you understand that, it can actually help reframe how you're approaching your husband with a request or with, mm-hmm. I guess, a request for change in behaviour or whatever it is. Yeah. So I think what he said is let's try and listen to the complaint behind the criticism. So yeah. whether it's going the other way, whether the husband's criticising you, it's like, okay, what's the unmet need behind this criticism? What's his complaint because yeah. there's, a, there's an unmet need there in the complaint. And I think if we can slow ourselves down and not be as reactive, then we can get to the heart of it and actually grow in intimacy. Mm. The, the sad thing is so many of us haven't been formed. We haven't received this human formation in relationship skills and education. Yeah. Yeah. So, Like you said, we're fumbling our way through <laughs> It's ludicrous that you would take two different people from two different families, ways of dealing with money and conflict and everything and say, right, now do the happily ever after. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And I feel like, so I I did um, a few years of um, mission work when I was a teenager. So straight out of school, I did net ministries um, and they did a lot of this kind of formation of conflict resolution, just so a the team of people that you're placed with that year could function well. Um, but, I mean, you can apply it to any relationship. So I feel like I did that quite intensely and lived with these people and we really intentionally resolved conflict and tried to communicate well. And um, and even then I find it difficult <laughs> 
in in marriage and in relationships um, to really apply that. And so I think for the for your average person in society, it, it makes sense as to why. Um, I mean, it's not a good thing, but it makes sense as to why there are marriage breakdowns left, right, and center. Because really, as a as a community or as a society, we haven't we haven't um, we haven't equipped people who want to get married um, in the best way possible. And I think the Catholic Church does a really beautiful thing of saying we need to do some marriage preparation. But even then, that regular formation just of the human person, even just for your own personal development, um, is so important. Um, Because that is how, yeah, your relationship with anyone, but especially your relationship with your spouse can be, um, yeah, can just be healthy, be as healthy as can be. And to grow too. Often think, you know, we we put so much effort into the wedding day Mm. and we think that's the culmination, but it's actually just the beginning. And so we need people to be walking with us as after we get married. Like I often say to the men, like if you think the chase for the woman's heart ends on the day you say I do, you're going to be sadly disappointed because that's when you actually have to start pursuing one another's hearts in a deeper way, getting to know one another and I guess Mm -hmm. learning how you can call them towards holiness, which I think is really interesting because, you know, we look at Genesis and we look at that original plan for man and woman in that original experience before sin entered the world. And a man and a woman were called to come alongside one another to be a helpmate Mm -hmm. and a complementary partner. John Paul II beautifully unpacks that word helpmate. It's not for us as women, domestic goddess and slave, that word helpmate actually means divine aid. So our spouse is placed in our life, like you were saying earlier, to draw us towards Christ and to draw us into the fullness of who we were created to be. And, yeah. and when we realise that we're actually the ones who are coming alongside our spouse to help them in this process, I think yeah. it does change the way we show up. I think mm. the sad thing is so many people don't know how to do the coming alongside and that's where mm. these relationship skills crucial yeah Yeah. and I think just the complementarity of each other um that we are yeah we we have to see each other as equal and we we need to acknowledge that our spouse will have gifts in certain areas that complement our own we don't need to have all of it together ourselves don't I don't have to be in control of everything in the household (laughs) his input is valid and it's also really wise and (laughs) um it's very he's very um yeah, he's just, yeah, he's very wise, um, but that it compliments me and I compliment him and that's the way, yeah, like you said, that's the way it's intended, that we're supposed to help each other, we're supposed to be a team together um, and that on a team you don't, I mean, sometimes you'll have a leader, which can be the man. Um, sometimes you have that leader, but I think you, you can't do it without the other and that's the way marriage is intended. And I think, yeah, like we were speaking, um, really it's that refiner's fire um, that God always uses the challenges and the uncertainties or those kind of big, difficult, um, sacrificial moments in our lives to really refine us because of our very fallen nature, um, to want to do it on our own or to, or to want to, or maybe even just to think that our spouse doesn't know as much as they think that they do, or that we know better, or we know the the best way to, um, <laughs> to dry, which is funny because we have a very similar argument in the car sometimes. Yeah, that, that helpmate, um, that team, the teammate, the quality that we have together. Um, yeah. 
we're no better than each other, but we are supposed to complement each other. And yes. I think that's really beautiful. And there's a real humility in leaning into one another. I think, you know, it's it's so important. Like marriage is not like a fixed state. Like we're constantly evolving, constantly growing. And so we need to have a level of humility and receptivity to one another to actually make that journey. We were talking, you know, like a couple of weeks ago when we did Shalom about important relationship. Um, what, what makes a successful marriage and I think if I could hone it down to one quality it would be that the, each person is receptive to growth to their own growth and the growth of their marriage mm-hmm. and I also want to acknowledge that there are times where you know people do need to leave their marriages so I do acknowledge that through addictions or abuse there are particular situations So I want to make the distinction between the conversation you and I are having is for the generally healthy marriage, not for someone who is in that position because someone in that position needs help and well may need to separate um, their spouse. But for the generally healthy marriage, I think it's this important quality of being receptive to growth. Mm. And the marriages, some of the marriages that I've seen that have broken down, which I believe could have been fixed and could have walked through this process is because one person refused to acknowledge I guess the stuff they brought to the relationship and so we both have to acknowledge our baggage because we all have it in a relationship someone once said to me you go into marriage with your eyes wide open and then keep them half closed after that (laughs) we have to be aware of our baggage but to be really honest with you 22 years into marriage I'm discovering and learning about myself I didn't even know myself when I got married. Yes. So, and Jonathan didn't either. And so we grow and we evolve together. And mm. I think that's a, a very important quality is just to be receptive, to, to maybe every now and then go to your spouse and say, I just want you to give me three things that if I could do these, they'd be really helpful to you or for the growth of our marriage. Like what are three things I'm doing that hurt you or wound you at the moment? Yeah. And then accept the answer in humility and go Mm -hmm. away and ask for grace to sort of improve in those areas. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, yeah, you're so right. And that that area of growth, because it's not, growth is never comfortable. And I think that's something that we always will um, shy away from, those areas which we we are called to be growing in continually. Um, And I think, yeah, like you said, having humility which is also something that we often shy away from because it's not comfortable. Um, having humility when we receive our, our spouses and they they tell us maybe maybe if you could not do this anymore, maybe you could do it this way instead um, and receiving that. And, and if you find that challenging, taking it to prayer and going, obviously we want our relationship to work and to flourish. And if this is what he's told me, I need help in receiving that because it's a bit, tra- it's a bit challenging or I feel a bit annoyed about that. But um if it's a way in which you can love and serve them and allow them to feel like they can take up space in the relationship just as much as you can um yeah it's really yeah it's really really important and it's making me as you're talking I'm having a shame moment (laughs) thinking about the, the petrol in the car like I will drive while it's on orange like the red light's on for a long time like it's really bad whereas Jonathan will never go below like half a tank empty ever (laughs) he'll always keep it topped up so many years ago this became a thing because we were sharing one car 
and I would always leave it empty. I'd be like, I knew the next day what I had to do. And I thought, oh, yes, I can get to the other side of town with a red light on. <laughs> and it would really, for him, he'd get in there and he'd feel like I didn't think of him. Like mm-hmm. it was a real lack of thought. Mm-hmm. And that converts to a lack of love and respect. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes it's just showing your spouse that you're being thoughtful. I'm happy to say I am reformed and now I do fill up the tank, even if it's like 10 o'clock at night and I've realised I will jump up and go because I want him to feel like I've heard that and I've responded. Yeah. Yeah, so I think there's there's ways in which we, yeah, we just need to, I guess, ask and then respond and even if it's not. it's funny how at at the beginning of, marriage or in the marriage preparation if you if you talked or if someone told you about these very specific things that would help your spouse feel loved and appreciated I think that I would have just laughed I'm like what do you mean that sounds so ridiculous but it's so yeah it's so true I think you you can never be prepared for it and I think if you're constantly um, being open and receptive to those things because we change as people we grow we we get older different things happen in our lives we we deal with things differently and I think um even now, Patrick and I have been married for eight years and we are definitely not the same people. Like we're obviously the same people, but we're just, we're so different to who we were when we first got married that if we were still doing the same things or if we're still relating to each other in the same way in that first year as we were now, it would have been an incredibly difficult eight years. <laughs> like we, we really had to, we really had to pivot. And even though it was challenging and even though it's scary being vulnerable with people about things that, you're flawed um in yeah I think it's it's just it's it's born so so much good fruit um and though yeah I think and I think sometimes having that hope as well because it can feel like oh well we've just dealt with that issue now there's another one or I feel like I've just dealt with this this thing in my personal life and now I've got something else that I'm I've, my eyes have been open too. I didn't realize I was doing before. Oh, it's um, so hard. Yeah. Like once you see it, you can't unsee it. So you need to respect, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. Two right. things I'd love. One I'd love to go into is just like intimacy within marriage. I'd love to chat around that. But I, as you were talking, I want to make the point that so often these things that we perceive as irritations mm-hmm. are actually invitations. And so this is where I see a lot of couples coming unstuck is they get irritated by each other they get really annoyed and frustrated but they don't realize that in that irritation lies an invitation to growth to love and to to becoming I guess a more healthy couple so I wanted to make that point before we go into this area and this area is the one of physical intimacy within marriage and marriage is a sacrament so a sacrament is something that makes visible the invisible mystery of God it's the sign and symbol like the, the sexual intimacy in marriage is the sign and symbol of the sacrament. Baptism is the water. But sexual intimacy is a sign and symbol in marriage. And so there's incredible grace that is released in the intimacy that a couple shares when they come together in marriage. I'm just wondering if you can speak into, I guess, the need for that and the differences between men and women, because I think there's no greater area that we're different in than when it comes to sexual <laughs> desire and sexual intimacy. Yeah. Um, and I think this is an area, especially once kids come along, that can fall right off the to-do list. It doesn't mm-hmm. even rank on a priority list anymore for <laughs> so many women. But for men, it's like one of their top emotional needs. Yeah. And and we've got this huge disconnect that happens in marriage. I'm wondering if you can speak into some of those differences and I guess how couples can cultivate a rich, you know, intimate relationship in marriage. 
Yeah, absolutely. I have a few thoughts on this. Um, I think personally for us, we had lots of different expectations around this area. It was something that we like, I think we just faced a lot of tension with about, um, yeah, I think it's more just that growing period as well. And we both had very, um, we've had very different experiences of, of intimacy relationships and sex and love before getting married. And so it felt like for a while we had to untangle a lot of that yeah. while we were married. Um, and I think for me, it was learning that um, his desire for me or like a husband's desire for a woman does come from this really beautiful, holy place. And I think it's also, it's a moment for them when they're, they're probably their most vulnerable. Um, and it's also, which also means that um, a lot of wounding and a lot of hurt can come from, um, from rejection if, we, if we're not careful about the way in which we kind of have those conversations with each other. Um, and it's funny, in different seasons of our marriage, we've, we've had to really schedule things in or talk about things very intentionally. Um, and other times it's been a little bit more kind of go with the flow. But um, it's, um, yeah, I think one thing that I, I, I think, I, and I think I was surprised to discover it because, because I didn't grow up in a Catholic family. I didn't have parents kind of talking to me about theology of the body or even just about the Christian viewpoint of sex and love and marriage. Um, and I had a, yeah I had a lot of negative experiences with relationships before I was married and so I think to learn that um that Patrick wasn't that like the way in which society tells you men are um he was absolutely opposite but also that there was so much um there was so much healing that I could find within our relationship if only I let him minister to me and let God into that area I think um and so I think yeah so for him for, for all men um yeah it's that really vulnerable um moment in which we can honor them respect them and I think as well for men as, as well there's there's plenty of things that they can do in which to to learn how to kind of um bring it up with their spouses and and, and approach that yes. um that intimate relationship but um even on the kind of more not funny side but I, the more light-hearted way of uh, listening to another podcast most recently about um how for men sometimes it's just they can think about it and they're ready to go um they can just think about they can be doing the dishes or they can be mowing the lawn they think about like oh and my think about my spouse and get really excited and they're ready to go but for a woman for a woman um it often takes lots of those little um nice um deeds that can often not even be related to um the sexual union be like folding the laundry or cleaning the kitchen without being asked or buying flowers or <laughs> those little kind of moments in which they're feeling loved and cherished. And, um, and sometimes it's, and more, it's that slow burn that builds them up to be more open and receptive to their spouse in them. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, th I found that really, I mean, it's something that, you know, but I think just having, having people share honestly about those kinds of conversations as well. Um, really? can just make you feel not so alone because I think it's another one of those things talking about like arguments in marriage and then also talking about intimacy um, in your love life in marriage is often something particularly Catholics don't do very often. Um, so I think, yeah, there are ways in which you can speak about it in really respectful ways and, and sharing with maybe close friends about if there are particular struggles you're facing or if there are ways in which you feel like, um, so I feel like I should say maybe start by speaking just with your spouse about it, <laughs> even yeah. though sometimes it can feel like 
we we very easily can do the deed but talking about the deed is like this awkward thing <laughs> um but the, it's kind of similar to getting to know our spouse the only way in which we can really love and honor them and respect them is getting to know them in that particular area so it's just another um, facet of our marriage that we can approach and, and yeah. have a conversation and I, I think i really want to encourage women i guess once again i always like to clarify in the generally healthy marriage yeah to really rank, you know, push this one up on the list of priorities and yeah. to be intentional. Like once you've gotten to a bit of a rut in marriage, I think men often stop asking because they don't want to be rejected. And it's not just a physical, biological need. This is an emotional need. So it goes right to the core of them. And I think as women, there's an invitation for us, I guess, to grow and to respond in ways in which we can meet our husbands in this area. And so one, I would just really encourage women to, to push that up, maybe to be the initiator. One, one quote that comes to mind thinking about intimacy and, and marriage particularly is that John Paul II um, says, find yourself when you make... Sorry. Yeah, darling, I really need you to go and sit on, play in the lounge room, okay? Five more minutes and don't come in. Quick. Okay, close the door, please. All right, love you. Oh All right, um... Yeah, so um, I think one quote that I, yeah, one quote that I really, um, sorry, <laughs> so, yeah. um, one quote that comes to mind thinking about intimacy and just marriage in general is John Paul II and when he says, find yourself when you make a sincere gift of self. And um, I find that really resonates with me, particularly in intimacy, is that you can find that love and desire and um, you find yourself more when you give a gift of yourself like mirroring those those vows that we make the freely fruitfully um so what are they selflessly yes, yes. <laughs> faithfully like you, you're really um you're reiterating those marriage vows in that marital union and I think that we can often forget that I know particularly and all of my emotions about being tired and all the rest can can kind of overshadow that but that reminder of um, we're called to give a gift of ourselves and um God designed sex in marriage to be, like you said, that that image of heaven, um, for him to be so, um, to be so within that, like he designed that, he created that. It's not society's idea. Um, it wasn't anyone else's idea. And so um, it makes so much sense that um, when we allow ourselves to be um, a gift to our spouse, particularly in that way in which um, we can both give and receive love in a, in a really free and um, faithful way. Um, yeah, that it can, it can only ever, yeah, be, um, I guess, fruitful. It can be really life-giving. Yeah. And I love that quote. I can't believe it's almost the end of the episode before we've brought that quote up because it's so beautiful. But I also read that John Paul II said we were given sexual desire. Mm. The, the purpose of sexual desire is actually to draw us beyond ourselves to yeah. and for another. When you yeah. think about it like that, I often say I was having a conversation with one of my children. Um, it goes to an all-boys school and obviously in high school there's a lot of this talk and I said to him, well, you can either be a giver or a taker in life. Like your sexuality is a gift and you can either seek to take to satisfy yourself or you can seek mm -hmm. to serve with your strength and your sexuality. And yeah. I think John Paul too really, I love that reminder that it's mm -hmm. our sexual desire is there to draw us beyond ourselves to make that gift. And I love that you pick up on that image of the Trinity within marriage. Mm. And I started the podcast with this, if we don't see God's love in marriage, where will we see it? Well, as a married couple, you're right. Like 
God is a relationship of three persons in one. We have, you know, that perichoresis, the Greeks call it the dance of love, where there's this constant giving and receiving and finding fulfilment. That's the image that we're meant to carry and embody yeah. within our marriage and that yeah. total selfless love. Yeah, it's so so powerful and so beautiful. It is. Wouldn't it be so wonderful to just sit down and have a, a cuppa with um, John Paul too? <laughs> He's someone I, I would just, um Yeah just so beautiful so much wisdom and I often think if a pope can um, talk about sexual desire then (laughs) in the most holy kind of fruitful way it's a conversation that the rest of us can can have in that um in the concept in the context of the truth absolutely and I think so important and so I just love to speak to women today who are maybe struggling in this area and I know that I've walked with a lot of women pastorally and there are genuine hang-ups, women that have had negative experience sexually before they got married in this area. There's a real block for them. just really want to encourage you to pursue help, um, to yeah. pursue counselling, to pursue healing in that area. Yeah. And then I, often, I know very well that husbands often have struggles in that area too. And mm-hmm. so I guess it's bringing it towards and to the right people yeah. for help and guidance. And so I really want to end on that note just to really encourage women if there are issues in your marriage to go and pursue help and pursue healing and for people who are in a generally healthy marriage then just ramp up some of those priorities learn to communicate and to respect in a way and to love in a way that is received by the other yeah yeah I just want to thank you Steph you're so full of so much wisdom and thank you for sharing your marriage I think so powerful when we we share, like you said, in light of truth, but we share the pearls and the gems that we've learned from the journey for others. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Karen. It's such a life-giving conversation. I really, um, yeah, having a good conversation with a, with a wonderful woman such as yourself is just, just really inspires me, it kind of gives you that breath of the Holy Spirit or the breath of the fresh air and you go, yes, I need to remember to do all of these things for my own marriage as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, yeah. I feel that talking to you as well today. So. <laughs> Let's all go home and love our husbands. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yes, so for women wanting to go a bit deeper or women who are having some struggles, I know Megan Kozak with Lighthouse Relationships up in Brisbane offers a great service and she really does a lot with this Gottman, the Gottman principles in marriage counselling. So I'll put some links to her practice in the show notes as well. But thanks again, Steph. Well, ladies, I hope and pray that conversation was a blessing for you. And if you are married, I really want to encourage you to get intentional about cultivating an atmosphere of love in your marriage. There's so many great resources out there. I'll leave a list of books that I recommend in the show notes and also to Lighthouse Relationships Ministry. We ran out of time in this week's episode to explore the ways in which women living in other seasons and states of life can come alongside married couples and support them. So women who are single, women who are living consecrated life, there are so many ways in which you can come alongside young married women and really support them and sow into them as couples. I think one of the beautiful ways that we can do this is to get around our friends, find out their wedding anniversaries and send them a text or a card each anniversary. It doesn't take much to get from birthday to birthday, yet we celebrate each other's birthdays. I mean, really, all we have to do is keep breathing. But for a couple to get from one wedding anniversary to another, well, that takes a lot of commitment, takes a lot of dying to self, it takes a lot of suffering sometimes, and a lot of work. I really want to encourage us as a community to start celebrating marriage and to start celebrating 
and affirming and encouraging one another in this very beautiful vocation. If you are married and if you are going through a difficult season, then I really encourage you to reach out either to your local priest, to some women through the Genius Project or through the counselling services that are available. Sometimes it takes just a conversation or an idea to switch directions and to reinvest in your marriage. If you're a woman who feels like you're in the early stages of marriage and you have a bit of baggage, then can I invite you to check out the Catholic Women's Masterclass. You can find out more about this on our website, www.geniusproject.co, or there is a link in the show notes. Now, one of our modules in the Catholic Women's Masterclass really deep dives into understanding men, into understanding this vocation of marriage and how we can learn to come alongside one another. We really look at giving you skills, equipping you with relationship skills and human formation so that you can flourish in this beautiful vocation. Sometimes in our relationships, we can get a little bit stuck. Now, if that's you, or if you're stuck in your own life and you need some help, can I recommend our Catholic coaching programs to you? Here at The Genius Project, we have professionally trained Catholic coaches who can come alongside you and walk with you for either a one-off session or a series of four sessions or a series of 12 sessions to help walk you through getting unstuck in some of the limiting behaviors and mindsets and beliefs that might be holding you back, and particularly holding you back in your relationship with the men in your life. So if you'd like to find out more about the Catholic Coaching Programs, please send me an email, karen at geniusproject.co. Can I ask one last favor before we sign off on this week's episode, that if you like what you're hearing, can I ask you to share the link with your friends and to go onto the Genius Podcast platform and leave a review and rating. This really helps to support the work of the Genius Project. Next week, we'll be continuing the conversation on vocation. We'll be deep diving into what it looks like to live the single life and how you can live this season of life with grace, purpose and joy. I look forward to you joining us again next week. Until then, have a beautiful week and God bless.